This is the Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris, where we discuss apologetics without apology. The Biblical Mother and Father, Their Roles and Their Purpose In order for this work properly, one must be equally yoked. Light and darkness cannot walk in one accord. And the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be in agreement? And so God's concept from the Genesis chapter 2, from the very onset of creation, that man and woman will walk in him and they walk in obedience to his words. And by doing that, they will express the love of God through their relationship and pass that on to their children. You see, marriage is a covenant. It's based upon needs and also reciprocal dependency. For example, in relationship, um, there's a need for oneness and unity, the expression, receiving, and giving of love, intimacy, sexual intimacy, security and trust, companionship, and of course, when the children come along, procreation. Once a man and woman get married in God, in Christ, the umbilical cord of parental headship is severed. For the single male and the single female, they must become one. The two become in one flesh as expressed in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 5. Facts concerning Adam and Eve in this type of relationship is that first, God created the man for himself. And Adam walked with God in glory and in perfection. Adam had a purpose. And then he also created the woman. But the woman, on the other hand, she was created for the man, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. Adam was God's responsibility, but Eve was Adam's responsibility. He was to provide, love, protect, and walk upright before God with her as one flesh. And Adam was also given perfect provisions in the garden kingdom called Eden. And God gave him, of course, um, a place whereby which he can receive his wife, his home, the garden. And all that the woman is, of course, it came from the man. Because Eve came from Adam, from his rib, and she is born of his bone. And the Bible says she was flesh of his flesh. She also walked in glory of an eternal body. They both did, of course, according to the scriptures. Neither Adam or Eve saw that they were naked until Adam had sinned. They discovered that they were naked when the glory of God departed, and their eyes were opened, knowing the difference between good and evil because of their obedience. We're told in 1 Timothy that Eve was the first in the transgression, but of course, Adam was the one that had the authority. For man was created in the glory of God, and the woman were told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, in the glory of the man. But originally, Adam was given domain over the garden and also his home. And so he, he took his wife and his wife took on the name of her husband, who of course had no last name, but Adam's, Adam would call his wife Eve and he, called, he named the Eve and she was called Woman because she came from man. Woman, and in the garden um, of Eden was there, of course, their first home. With that being said, 
they will now in this terrestrial realm prepare for their and themselves as inhabitants and later for procreation. This procreation, of course, will be the XX chromosome and the XY chromosome for male and female offspring that they will have. Man cannot exist without the woman because you need, you need a woman to bear children, bear his seed, and the woman that give birth to the child. So there is a reciprocal type relationship. God set the woman on a 28-day menstrual cycle. And ironically, this is also the same cycle with the moon. Uh, God does everything in order and is divinely established by his principles and by his word. And the holy wedlock or marriage, which was his first institution, was done in the same manner. In God's wisdom, he did not allow Adam to reproduce an Eve until after they were tempted. So there would not be a dichotomy of their children being eternal and mom and dad also being temporal as a result of their sin. You cannot have a perfect world where the children live in perfection and they would not die, but the parents would. So in God's wisdom, everything was done decently and in order, in time, in perspective, and according to his order. As parents, father and a mother, they both serve at the heads of their home for their offspring, but the father is the head of all, but he had the final authority, as it was with, of course, Adam. And this lineage for the children would be a patriarchal lineage because if you look at the genealogies that are listed uh, in the Old Testament, it's the genealogy of the fathers. It's a patriarchal system that God has set up because God put man in charge from the garden and from creation. The women reverse this, the gender roles. They break God's prophetic script. And unfortunately, they put themselves in a very, very judgmental and damnable position. Christ himself would not even break his own scriptures when he suffered John the Baptist to baptize him, as he said in Matthew 3.17, you know, that the scriptures would not be broken or to fulfill all righteousness. On the other hand, Moses did break the scriptures when he smoked the rock twice. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because of that, not knowing that the rock that he smote was Christ, a symbolic representation of Christ, where the water, the living water, one day flow out of him. So it's important that men and women stay in their divine roles. They're equal in the sight of God. Equal at, both have equal access. But it comes to authority. The man had authority from the very beginning. So the roles, roles are the functionality of appointed positions, how God created all things. The father, of course, he had the office, uh, and his office as the husband, he was the authorized agent of God for his wife and also for his children, the godly representation of the Heavenly Father. So the author of the office is the authorized agent of God that takes charge also over demonic attacks on his family. And demons will obey because they understand divine law and divine order. God had established this in the cosmos, even though men may not understand, may not agree, God's word is established and the angels understand divine order and they function in that capacity. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10, that when women do not exercise proper authority and get out of order, he said they need to have power over their head, their heads because of the angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. 
Something happened in Genesis chapter 6, where we elaborated previously about the sons of God toward the daughters of men who were fair and came unto them because of their rebellion against Yahweh. And consequently, they opened themselves up for demonic oppression, demonic habitation, and gave birth to giants, as the Bible says in Genesis 6, in the land. Satan that's accused of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, is always looking for cracks and ways he can come in to attack the family. But the father standing in position, exercise his rightful authority, his family will be blessed, and his family will be, of course, protected. Satan and his host seek day and night to get permission to kill, to steal, and to destroy the descendants of Adam, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. But the, the choice and the standing of the man of God is to be in defense and protect his family. Same it is with pastors and all others who stand in position to watch over the little ones. So, what is the role of the mother? What's the role of the father? Well, they both serve in administrative roles, both in natural and spiritual things. The father, of course, he delegates family responsibility and he should unselfishly do a fair share of the division of labor for all. He is a servant to each other and the white husband and the wife and by leadership, leading by example. The children will also emulate their father, perhaps if he does it righteously and serve as a good role model. The father to be meek, all right? And meekness not to mean cowardly, that doesn't mean soft, but simply a person under authority and under control. Not lord over everybody, not controlling like a warlock or, or a Satanist, in a sense, trying to control people. The Lord says, provoke not your children to wrath. It says, love your wife. Not as a fool as did Nabal, we find in 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 38, Nabal, the Bible calls he was a fool concerning the leadership in his home and his wife. The man of God must be humble, submitting one to another in the fear of God to his spouse, but also taking that leadership role. Now, uh, and on the other hand, the mother, the woman in this relationship should carry out and oversee family activities, manage the home, and nurture the children. She also should be meek and have a quiet spirit as expressed in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 and Proverbs 15, 1. She should not be contentious as we find in Proverbs 21, 9 and 19. She do submit to her husband without manipulation, which we find in 1 Peter 3, 16. She is called to be a Proverbs 31, a virtuous woman at home and in the marketplace. And that's their more so their administrative roles. We also understand that the seat of authority, as you mentioned a moment ago, that the man is accountable to God first, right? Man and, and woman did not change their natural body when Eve sinned, but when Adam sinned, he was the one of authority when he ate of that fruit from the garden. That's when everything changed. So he is the first one for discipline and the first one for God to respond to. He's the manager. He must be an example to his wife. He must be a servant and leader again by example. He directs the ministry of the family. All right. He trains, except the training ground for ministry at home so that the children also can prepare in a life living examples for Yahweh, for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Home churches. Yes, the, the father, 
The Christian father has a home church. That's his family. He trains and teach and also loves his children. He coronates gifts and the fruits of the spirit with the children in the same manner as we see um, Philip did in the book of Acts chapter 22, how that he had four daughters who did prophesy. While the father setting that seat of authority, um, the mother also helped the father, all right, with the ministry of helps. As ministered in Genesis chapter 2, she was his helpmeet, ordained as a suitable helper to carry out the functions of the family. She is the servant of good things. She validates her husband's ministry as he finds in the office of the bishop and the office of the deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and the book of Titus. The home church uh, assistants, in other words, they are given the hospitality and cultivate the gifts of the spirit and also the fruit of the spirit amongst the children. She is also accountable to God and in submission to her husband. These are the roles of the woman. And God, of course, in his infinite ways, has designed this again. He is the creator. We are the, course, the clay, and he's the potter. Now, when it comes to sexual intimacy, it, it talks about many levels and many folds here. His body, the man's body, is not his own. We're told in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, neither the woman's body, her own. That they are not to defraud one another, all right, of sexual intimacy. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Women should not use sex as a method of manipulation, as a weapon against a man, and the man should not be a brute beast forcing himself on his wife. But one thing about love, you submit one to another in love in the fear of God. For saints are the temple of the living God, as expressed in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and we are his temple and God dwell within us then we've been bought with a price. We've been called to glorify God in our body, which are his. He tells the man and the woman that since he dwells within us and we are his temple, is that if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. That's first Corinthians chapter six, verse th chapter three, rather, verse 16 and 17. So even though bodily exercise profit little, it's good to stay in good shape, to keep your body, to keep yourself groomed and attractive for your spouse. This way you're going to be lusting and looking after other men and other women. All right? Because the Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. And since it is that the husband and wife should be very conscious that the same thing that it took maybe to get your spouse, it may take the same things to some degree to keep her as well, at least attracted and interested in you. Preserve yourself from bad habits, drugs, alcohol, smoking, and all these things that lead to your termination of life and reduces your lifespan, leaving your spouse a widow. Do not bring up sexual hangups and things that need to be addressed probably before you got married, maybe from perhaps some individual were involved in incest, and they also maybe they were involved in all types of unfortunate relationships before they got married. Those things should be resolved in premarital counseling sessions so they will not be impediment to your newfound relationship for a long life of sexual intimacy with your spouse. Sanctification. Well, both need to be sanctified. And Paul says in 1 
know, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, that your body, soul, and spirit be sanctified, be found blameless at the coming of the Lord. And so we are to be complete in him. Under the believing husband, he also, by his walk, sanctifies his family. And also the believing wife also sanctifies her family. And this is clearly expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. The sanctification of the woman as a virtuous woman, but also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, and, chapter, and verses 20 through 22 in the same chapter, speaks about one to be a vessel unto honor or a vessel unto dishonor. In your marriage relationship, you want to be a vessel unto honor. That we must deal with the issues of the heart. All right. And also weigh the spirit as the Lord does to each of us. That we should make our heart clean as David said. Lord, give me a clean heart that I might not sin against you. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And David also would sing. So issues of the heart concerning the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We have to put these under subjection to the spirit of God. We can't do these things because God has called us and empowered us to do that by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul also says concerning our sanctification, being sanctified means be set apart. But he said, flee worldliness. Don't be a friend of the world. That will make you an enemy of God. In James 4.4 4 and in Matthew 16 verse 26. You see, if you seek the world, if you gain the world and lose your own soul, what have you gained? You have gained damnation in hell. And that's not a gain. That's a tremendous loss. For easily and clearly stated that we are to walk circumspectly and walk also in the power of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy unto him. All right. This is your reasonable service. This is the least you can do. All right. If we do that, then we can present our bodies to Christ and to one another in good order and good shape, and we will receive one another. But what man would dishonor his own body, as Paul raised the question in Ephesians chapter 5, to dishonor his wife, and vice versa concerning the wife? To not seek to control, to manipulate, and bring carnality into relationship, a selfishness bent on one's own will, that just because of your final authority, that doesn't mean you should abuse that authority. We should not be, in a sense, as those who um, walk and try to manipulate and control people for our own selfish desires, males. But we should serve our children and our spouse. And they will likewise do the same to us. Not only while they're with you in your house, but in years to come when they leave your home as well. The husband, yes, he is to be the priest of the home. He is the intercessor, right? I know most times it's left up to the woman. We're told to pray. But the husband, he's the priest of the home, all right? The Bible says in two or three are gathered together. When they're gathered together in his name, when that happens, God is in the midst, Matthew 18, 20. So that God be in your midst, let him be in your family. Let him bless your children. And he bless you and your children for generations. You will see the blessings of the Lord. And your children will not be in prison. They will not be in jail. They will not be incarcerated. They will not be on drugs. They will not be promiscuous. They were all the things of righteousness. You sow your seed in righteousness. And you sowed into your family. Not pursuing your sports and other activities. They may please your flesh. 
But if you sow to the Spirit in your children and in your spouse, you will reap blessings that cannot be measured. And you receive, O oh Lord, peace on earth that cannot be understood. And many will envy you, be jealous of you, because of what God has done for you. Because you have provoked God to jealousy in a good way. Because you please Him so that he showers his blessings upon you for you and your children. So let the husband be the priest and the minister at the home. Let him sanctify himself and also serve his God. Let him cultivate a godly spirit within his children through the power of agreement with the husband and the wife so they will not sow discord between the husband, the wife, and with children. Deal with the devil when your children want to fight and deal with them in the flesh as well. Do not allow the spirit of Cain to rise up in your house. But instruct your children, teach them how to be praises of God and also walk in victory that they can see how the word of God and the power of God can change lives. And when they see this on their life, then there is no other option for them that this is the right way to go. Because they want to receive the things that this, their mom and dad had and also walk in the glory of God, then they will also have to do the same thing they did. And now, the great thing about all this, it goes to the next generation. Whatever man sowed, that should also reap. So we must teach our wife, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, at home. We should not leave our teaching of our children to the church, quote-unquote, in Sunday school. When they come to Sunday school, they should be ready to teach, not necessarily simply to be taught all the time. They should be workers of good because what we sow in them, they shall also reap their just reward to themselves and to their friends and their neighbors. And what they learn at home and they can share, they can share with others because they have learned it and they have lived it and they can share that with other dysfunctional families who have no hope and very little joy. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Instruct them in doctrine and church order and also in application in life. So when they go in the highways, in the marketplace, and they go to colleges and schools, they can stand their own ground as apologists and not be afraid to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell why they have a hope for their calling and why God answers their prayers. This is what we're looking to. If men and women would do this, we could change the world. But where does it start? At the home. Not in the church building, but at the home. And it starts first with the man. It starts with the man first. In Romans 5, we're told that because of man, transgression fell on everybody. One man, Adam. But thank God. In Romans 5, it says, one man brought sin, but one man also gave us deliverance from sin. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let your family be blessed. Teach your children to be defenders of the faith. Teach them to know their God, not just quoting verses, but experientially. Let them pray. Let them see God answer their prayers and also the prayers of the family. And you may not have a whole lot of money, but you can. You may not have a whole lot of substance things in this world, but you can. But no matter how, what you have or where you live, if God is in you, you can change the world. Because people are looking for people just like you who know God, who have the answers, have experienced him. And says, yes, my God talks to me and tells me what to do. Why do we say this? Because at the end of the day, we're told in Romans 8, 14, they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So be led 
Be an example. Be a witness that others will hear and they will receive your testimony because you're a person of truth and you will know the truth. And all those who know you, the truth will help you and them and everybody will be set free. You'll be made free by the blood of the Lamb and you can overcome by the word of your testimony. So be blessed. I hope these words have been encouraging to you. Husband and wife, love one another and teach the children how to love each other. And it shall be well with your soul, with your house, and no evil thing shall befall you. In Jesus' name. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and automatically receive our next teaching on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. The Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris is made possible by the support of listeners like you. If you'd like to bless this ministry with an offering, please do so via the Cash App by searching Hashtag Foundation Station. That's dollar sign, Foundation Station. Thank you and God bless.